0: Today's passage is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-8. through 8. You can find that on page 843 in your pew Bible. Hear now the word of the Lord, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, infallible and inerrant. I charge you in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Children three to six can now leave for their class.
1: Can't go without the sippy cup. See Sally. Have fun. Well before I get into the teaching of the word this morning. I want to say just briefly. uh, What a privilege and a joy it has been to have David Thompson with us. And uh, he has jumped in with both feet and served, and given, and, uh, you know, they say that you get what you pay for. In this case, we got a lot more than what we paid for, because we didn't pay him a dime. (laughs) But he worked as though he was working unto the Lord, and, uh, for that, I am grateful, and, uh, so, at the end, we'll, we'll do uh, an ordination part of the service, and we'll do the vows, and there'll be more to be said then. And before that, and before the teaching of the Word, if you would go with me before the Lord, and let's ask Him to be with us. <clears throat> Father, symbolically, I hold your Word over my own head, because it is the ultimate authority and I am one under that authority and under you and I wish my whole life to be one that surrenders to your word and your calling and I pray that for your people that your people would see that it is your word that matters it is your word not even the words of a pastor and that is the pastor's role to exposit to expose what your word says and to communicate it to your people and then to exult in your word to give praise to invoke emotion that is worthy of you and so that is our goal today father would you be with us during this time i pray all of this in jesus name amen. Look with me um, there, you know, have your Bibles, if you would, open to 2nd Timothy probably uh, starting in chapter 1 and 2 because I want to give you the context of the text that we are going to look at. The text that we're looking at is what David read 2nd Timothy 4, 1 through 8, but the context is this. In 2nd Timothy The apostle Paul is writing to his dear friend and faithful disciple, Timothy, while Paul himself is sitting in a Roman prison and he is facing certain death. So that's the circumstances for Paul. It is, in essence, Paul's last words to his faithful friend and brother in the mission of carrying the gospel to a lost world. And as we know, last words are really important. When someone speaks their last words, often I want to know what those were. If I told you that my dad, just before he passed, had some last words, you would probably be curious as to what those were. These are Paul's last words to Timothy. Timothy, on the other hand, is in Ephesus where they have planted a church And he's leading the church there, and there are issues in that church. And Paul addresses some of those issues in this letter in 2 Timothy. But more than anything, his letter summarizes an admonition to his dear faithful friend. And we see that in 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Look with me in your Bibles at 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. This is what Paul tells Timothy, starting in verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And then he says these words. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you guard the good deposit entrusted to you john stott famous theologian british he says this about second timothy in his commentary he says the church of our day urgently needs to heed the message of the second letter of paul to timothy for all around us we see christians and churches relaxing their grasp of the gospel, fumbling it in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. A new generation of young Timothys, David, is needed who will guard the sacred trust of the gospel, who are determined to proclaim it and are prepared to suffer for it, and who will pass it on pure and uncorrupted to the generation which in due course will rise up to follow them. Guard this good deposit. As followers of Christ, we feel a conviction. We have, we should hold a conviction that each of us, not just me as the pastor and not just David as one that is moving into a pastoral role. But all of us should have this conviction in us to guard this good deposit, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm saying. You, as a follower of Christ, should know the gospel cold. And in any season, in and out, you should be able... To articulate the gospel to a loved one or a family member and nail it. No questions asked. That should be simple for you. To be able to proclaim a clear and comprehensive understanding of the gospel. We should be able to do that nail it cold. But unfortunately, many of us can't do that. We don't know how to do that. Do you know what you have, Christian, in the gospel? Do you know what you have in this great deposit, in this great treasure? It can be compared to an episode, and some of you all know this show, some of you may not, but the Antique Roadshow. I see plenty of nods, see some people looking at me like I'm crazy. What are you talking about? But in the Antique Roadshow years ago, there was a man by the name of Ted Canutes. He grew up in a home where his grandmother had an old blanket. It happened to be, he didn't know this as a child, it happened to be that it was an American Indian Navajo blanket that lay across the bed when he would visit his grandmother. And on cold nights, she would pull it up over him to keep him warm. And then when his grandmother passed years later, he inherited this blanket. He took this blanket and he set it over the rocking chair in his bedroom and there it sat for what he said probably 35 years, just a blanket. One day though, he decided in his late 60s that he would take it to the Antique Roadshow and just ask, what is this blanket worth? Well, the experts could hardly control their excitement. Ted had brought them a national treasure. It, at that time, was the most valuable piece they had ever seen at the Antique Roadshow, worth over half a million dollars. As they told him about the value of this blanket, Ted began to weep as he had multiple medical bills in his late 60s between he and his wife, and they still had a significant mortgage on their home. He sold the blanket to the Detroit Museum for over half a million dollars, paid off his home and paid off his medical bills. And as he tells the story now, he said, you know, it sat there for years and years and years. I had no idea the value of this blanket What about you, Christian? Perhaps you've heard the gospel when you were a a young boy. Maybe in some sense it has hung over the rocking chair in your bedroom. You have very little understanding of the deep, deep value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it doesn't just make a way in this life for you to pay off your mortgage and pay your medical bills But ultimately, if the Bible is the truth, and we believe that it is, it is your hope for all eternity. And so, we have this great deposit that we are to guard. And then in the letter in 2 Timothy, Paul goes on to tell Timothy how to guard the deposit. Look with me at 2 Timothy 2. 1 and 2. This is how Paul is telling Timothy you must guard this great deposit. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You have this concept of trusting the gospel to others who will be faithful. And this idea of discipleship and multiplying your life plays out through this text. So Paul is telling Timothy, one way to trust and to guard this great deposit is to give it to other faithful people who will also give it to faithful people and multiply this understanding of this great truth And then he goes on and he says, in 2 Timothy chapter two, he says, you're gonna have to fight and suffer and work like an athlete, like a farmer, like a soldier. All of these things come into play, Timothy. That's what it's gonna take to guard this good deposit. And then he goes on. And look with me, if you would, at the beginning of chapter three. He's trying to get Timothy ready for what it's going to take to guard this deposit. Look at 2 Timothy 3:1. He says, <clears throat> "But understand this: that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving," good treacherous reckless it just the list just goes on taking the gospel to that timothy all those who desire to live a holy life he says right after that will be persecuted timothy to guard this trust you're going to be persecuted But then before we get to the text that David read and the text that I'm going to spend most of my time on, I want to read for you what he says. Given all that's going to happen, given how hard it's going to be to guard this trust, what is he going to say to Timothy in chapter 3, starting in verse 15? Look at at 2 Timothy 3, 15. He says, And how from your childhood... Timothy, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says, we probably all know this text, and if we don't, we should put it to memory. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul is saying, the Word of God is your most valuable tool to guard, to teach, to proclaim this truth, Timothy. Believe it is inspired. Believe it is authoritative. It is the words of salvation. So, we get to the text. Paul charges Timothy. Look there at 2 Timothy, just verses 1 through 5, chapter 4. Chapter 4, 1 through 5, he says, the apostle Paul to Timothy, I charge you, much like I charge you, David. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions And will turn away from listening to the truth. I wonder if that has ever happened. And wander off into myths. And for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Why does Paul say, preach the word? What's behind that? because here's what he could have said. He could have said, teach the Word, and in other places he did. He didn't say, just Timothy, just read the Word. He didn't say, Timothy, share the Word. He didn't say, Timothy, memorize the Word. He didn't say, Timothy, meditate on the word all those things would be good things and all those things are things Timothy should do but in the text here he specifically says to Timothy Timothy preach the word preach the word what does that mean and why is it so important that if you'll notice there are five not one not two not three but five intensifying phrases leading up to to Paul's command to preach the word. There are five phrases in the text, starting there in verse 1. And these five phrases are very important. He says, one, in in verse 1, right there, chapter 4, he says, I solemnly charge you, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, To preach the word. And then he says, Not just me, but in the presence of God. I charge you in the presence of God. And then he goes a bit further and he says, And of Christ Jesus. So not just the presence of the Father, but also the presence of Jesus. Both the Father and the Son have a great concern in the matter of preaching. And in the matter of Timothy preaching the word, the father and the son care about this. And then he says, who is to judge the living and the dead? (laughs) In other words, the stakes couldn't be higher. The stakes could not be more significant. This is talking about the final judgment your preaching is gonna matter in the judgment of souls and so what he's saying is this if today you were here and we were going to uh, ordain a governor of our, our state or a mayor of our city or let's take it even past that we were going to put and install a president of the United States right here today. You know what the Word of God says about that? That this is more important. This is dealing with souls. It's dealing with all of eternity. That's why he says, preach the Word. And by the appearing Of his kingdom. That is, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, because the kingdom of God lays in wait. So he gives these five emphases, and then he tells them to preach the word of God. Preaching, and this, I really think I only have stumbled over this in my last four years since I started this job. Preaching is not just explaining or teaching. I think when I started this job, I thought it was explaining or teaching. But if you look at the Greek word for preaching, I don't have it on the screen, but the word in the Greek reads kind of like, it's K-E-R-U-S-S-O-N. Curison, curison. It's different. It's a different word when you talk about teaching. If you look at 2 Timothy 1, 10 and 11, I'll show it to you. Look at 2 Timothy 1, 10 through 11. This is why preaching is different. And this is why the charge that Paul's given Timothy is different. 2 Timothy 1, 10 through 11. This is what it says. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And this is what Paul says, for which I was appointed, what? A preacher and an apostle and a teacher. I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. The word preacher is different than the other two words. And the word carousin means to herald. On my software, which is a Lagos Bible software, if you double-click on that word, the word you get is to herald. Preaching is not just dissecting sentences for people. It's not just telling them what the Bible says. It is more than that. It is heralding. I borrow from John Piper. He has a book called Expository Exaltation. In other words, what the preacher is really supposed to do is he's supposed to open this book and teach God's people what it says. He's to expose The word of God to them but you know what is happening all over the country and even all over the world right now men are standing up and telling jokes and getting people to laugh and then they're sharing their wisdom or something that they've read in their way about this book what God's people need is not brilliant communicators they need men who will stand in the pulpit and teach you what the Bible says That's what we need. And then as they're teaching it, they are exalting. Not exalting, not lifting up, but exalting. In other words, they themselves are in an act of worship over what they're seeing growing out of the text. See, most, I don't think most people know that that's what preaching is supposed to be. I know for myself that I didn't, but this is what it's like. It should be like a, uh, a town crier, you know, in medieval days, the king would send him out with a message, and this would be what it would be like. He would go into the town square, and he would say, hear ye, hear ye, because they didn't have microphones, he had to scream. I have a microphone, but I'll scream anyway be it known to you today that by royal order of the highness, the king, there will henceforth be granted to this town an imperial watch of 100 soldiers to protect you from the rebel bands who plunder the king's subjects. And the crowd would clap. Yay. That's awesome. We're protected. And then he would say, furthermore, it be it known to you that the cost Of this protection shall be borne not by taxation. In other words, you're not going to have to pay for it. But the benefit uh, will come from the king and his royal treasury. Yay. That's awesome. You see, if a preacher is preaching the word the way Paul is telling Timothy to preach the word. He will tell them what is in the word, and that pastor will be so caught up prayerfully through his study and his time with the Lord. And I promise you, every week I get on my knees before God and I say, God, let me be so excited about your word and what is coming out of your word that I'm learning from you, that I would be able to go in front of your people and expound to them and expose them to what you're teaching in your word in such a way that I would be exulting in it. Because then they'll be caught up in that. You see, if I just stand here and say, and the word here, if you parse the verb and you move the, if you look at the noun, You get this, and that's pretty nice. (laughs) It's not the same. In other words, not only does the magnificence of the truth call for a heartfelt heralding and a passionate exalting, but our hearts call for it too. The Word calls for it, and your heart calls for it. Your heart needs to exult in the Word of God. We need it. Our affections need to be engaged in our worship. Our hearts will not be drawn out to worship if someone just dissects and analyzes the worth and the glory of God and does not exult in it. Our hearts long for true preaching. But some of us don't even know that that's really what's been missing. For example, growing up, my family was, at best, lower middle class. My father was a good father, not a great husband, multiple marriages. I knew that he loved me. He worked, uh, he was a Marine first in the Marine Corps, and then he went, and he was a beer salesman for 35 years for a company here in Atlanta that was a distributor of Miller and Miller Lite and other products. And we never went to church. And we didn't have a whole lot. But you know what's interesting, and some of you know this, when you don't have a whole lot when you're young, you don't know it. And there's something good about that, isn't there? But I remember we took a family trip for a family uh, reunion down in Savannah, Georgia. And probably the only relative I had that had money was where we went. And this is in the 1970s. I'm, I'm, you know, 52 years old, 53 tomorrow. Get your presents ready. Um, We go down to Savannah, and inside every room is a television inside the wall. Now, you know, these weren't flat screens these TVs were in the wall somehow and then when I got to the bathroom the first day I went to the bathroom I noticed as I looked to my side there was a telephone there I thought who am I gonna call but as we were going through the house I kept saying out loud as a seven or eight-year-old wow you guys are rich and they would go into the next room and I would go wow you guys are rich And finally, my dad, he would go, shh, shh. By about the third room, I'm telling you, he was a Marine. In the third room, I said, wow, you guys are rich. He hit me in the back of the head so hard, he said, shut up, son. And I didn't say another word the rest of the time. But the contrast of their wealth and our home made me, for the very first time, begin to realize, you know, Maybe we don't have a lot. And I think you can sit in a church under a pastor who doesn't expose the Word of God and teach it and does not exult over the Word for you. And you can think, because maybe they tell good jokes and they're funny, and they, they throw in some truth every now and then, that that's good that's a good church that's good preaching that's not good preaching if your pastor does not expose the Word of God and teach the Word of God and exult over the Word of God for you that your heart gets engaged and your mind gets engaged and you want to raise up in the middle of the service and say praise the Lord you may not be experiencing good preaching. what happens, I think a lot is people get up and they walk out and go, "Man, that guy's gifted." Wow. You know what that is? You cannot worship God and at the same time have men worship you and if his goal is for you to get up and walk out and be wowed by how great he is as a communicator you're not in a good church you can't make much of him while making much of yourself as a pastor David you can't it's about him you see preaching is a unique calling that is a special gift to God's church and not merely to call Lost people to repentance, but also to help the saints in their faith. Preaching is designed to give believers the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a fresh picture every week of the glory of God and His all-satisfying worth. And we should walk out overwhelmed. By the glory of God. That he saved me. Who am I. That I should experience. The goodness of God on my heart and soul. For all eternity. You see preaching. In corporate worship is essential. To the health and mission. Of the church of God. It is essential. I will say. I do not think it is all sufficient. I think that preachers should also be disciplers. I think they should be evangelists. I think they should be pastors. I don't think it's just about Sunday morning in the pulpit. There's lots of other things to do, and that's what makes the job so demanding and so challenging. but God does supernaturally use human preachers to accomplish His purposes by the power of the Holy Spirit. True biblical preaching may contain some elements of humor or science or academics, but at its core, Biblical preaching is way more about exposing and exalting in the Lord. So, I'll quote uh, out of expository exaltation one last quote, and then I'm going to ask you, David, to come forward. Preaching becomes and begets the blood bought spirit raw worship of the worth and beauty of God. God's purpose on the earth will advance through Bible-saturated, Christ-exalting, God-centered churches where the gravity and gladness of eternal worship is awakened and rehearsed each week in the presence and power of expository exaltation. To him be the glory. Let me pray. Father. May we. As a congregation. Always come. To worship. Looking for you. Looking to see you. To savor you. To treasure you. To exult in you. That we would be caught up in our emotions to the point that we would worship you just as we breathe. Father, I pray for David that this would be true of him, that as he seeks to pastor, your word would be his lifeline. Your Holy Spirit would fill him in powerful ways. And Father, you would use him as he goes from here. I pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.